Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Wow, good morning. Thank you so much for joining for today's live recording of the Power Hour podcast at Treehouse London. Yes. All right. Wow, where to start? So this month is actually five years since I started this podcast, which has kind of blown my mind. And we've recorded over 300 episodes. And so I guess the first thing to say is, well, thank you to all of you for joining. Thank you to Treehouse for hosting, for Beautify for making this happen. And to my producer, Jack, I'm not sure where he is. Stand up, Jack. My producer, Jack Clarament, who's been with me since episode one five years ago. Yeah, so I feel incredibly lucky to be the host of this podcast. I get to sit down and have conversations with interesting people, fascinating, wonderful people who are doing incredible things in the world. I've had Olympic athletes, I've had best-selling authors, doctors, psychologists, musicians, reformed criminals. I've had so many incredible guests along the way. I get to listen and learn and siphon their knowledge and their wisdom and their their lessons for life. And I get to share that with the listeners of the show every week. So today, today's guest, again, where to begin? She is a serial entrepreneur. She has created incredible global brands. She was recently named one of the most, one of the top 25 most influential women by Vogue. And she's somebody who I am certainly inspired and encouraged by. I mean, one hour is not probably gonna be long enough, but please join me in welcoming Marcia Kilgore. Good morning. Hello. I know that everyone looking at me will think, but look, she must be an Olympic athlete. See? <clears throat> Sadly, no. That was just my ab workout this morning. Well, Marcia, welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. Everyone here knows and loves Beauty Pie, but they might not know much about you, about your career. You are an award-winning entrepreneur. You founded a number of game-changing global brands, including Bliss, Soap and Glory, FitFlop, many others, and of course, Beauty Pie. And so today I want to talk to you about entrepreneurship, about your mindset and approach to business and life, to advice that you would give to me and to others, and of course, what motivates you to continue. So I guess the first place to start, if we could take it back. So take us back to life before you founded your very first company. I know that you were working in New York as a personal trainer. So I'd love to know, before you had the first idea, before you started your first business, what life was like then? Take us back. Well, I moved to New York when I was about, I was either 18 or 19. I'm really terrible with dates, because actually in the end they don't matter, they kind of all blur. Um, but I moved to New York to go to Columbia University, and my tuition payment plan fell through. Um, so I was sort of stranded there with $300, and I had to use the skills that I had at the time, uh, and I guess the people that I knew. Um, my sister had been a model, and she knew a lot of people who could afford a personal trainer. I needed one because they had to be in really good shape. And I had worked my teenage years at a gym and I had been, believe it or not, an amateur bodybuilder. So I know you can't see it now, 
but underneath all this flap, there is muscle. And it will come back one day when I maybe don't work quite as much. Um, so I, I started being a personal trainer, um, and I started to sort of just build up a clientele, hoping that I would be able to make enough tuition to go back to school and to, you know, accept my, my acceptance into Columbia. Um, but it got kind of busy. I got really bad skin from traveling around New York City, training people at all hours of the night and day in all kinds of weather. And one summer, instead of going out to the Hamptons and being a personal trainer to the rich and famous, I decided to stay and take a course in skincare to learn how to fix my own face. Because nothing that I had tried worked, no products that I had bought worked, no facial that I had had worked. Um, and I thought, I gotta get to the bottom of this. And generally, I think my, my theory is, if you can't find somebody to fix it, then figure out how to fix it yourself. And I'd say that's probably how I operate in business as well. So if there's a hole, I'll just go learn that skill and then do it. Um, it makes you actually feel much uh, more in control of your environment, which I always find comforting. Um, and also you just learn, and if you're open to learning new things, you'll find that most of them aren't as difficult as they may appear on the surface. That would be question later. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the answer to one of those later questions, just like dive right in there and try it, because guess what? Everybody has their driver's license, right? And how long, when you were younger, you thought, oh, no, I couldn't possibly get my driver's license? And then you got it, and you're like, well, everybody drives this really actually wasn't that hard. It's kind of the same with everything. Mm -hmm. That's what I've learned. Maybe not astrophysics, but the rest of it. So I have gone totally off, and okay. I don't even remember the question, but I think it no, was. It was telling us, so you started, you started to yeah, learn started about skincare. To yeah, solve I to solve my own face, which was a mess. And so I took this crash skincare course, and then I really loved it. And I started, so I had personal training clients, right? And they were very trusting and kind and let me practice on their faces. So I would go to their apartments. Uh, you, you know, it was kind of the rich and famous because um, those were the people who would be the early adopters of a personal trainer at that time. So you had one rich and famous person you know, sending you to their rich and famous friend to their other rich and famous friend. And I was like the poor kid from Saskatchewan with 300 bucks and a pair of tights and a white t-shirt, or like 10 pairs of tights and 10 white t-shirts. Um, and living in the East Village in a walk-up where I had to step over, unfortunately, you know, drug adult people on the, on, you know, it was, it was really a very different scene where I lived from where I had to go operate. Um, and so I took this course to fix my own face and I practiced on my very trusting and kind personal training clients who, I mean, that was shocking that they would let me because, you know, this is like the who's who, letting someone actually pick at their face who doesn't know what they're doing. Um, and I got better and better at it. And then I realized that if I wanted to have enough time and energy, in fact, to, um, to be able to go back to school, which was my eventual goal, was to kind of get back into some kind of university program that I probably couldn't be a personal trainer because that required getting up at four o'clock in the morning, being at my first clients by 5.30, having another client at seven. Usually you would have then a suite of clients after work because you know, you'd have bankers and whoever else could afford a personal trainer. And that was seven o'clock, 8.30, nine o'clock at night. So I'd then get home at 11 o'clock at night and then I'd have four hours of sleep, and then I'd have to get up and go back. And I thought, you know what, this is not sustainable. I'm never gonna be able to go to university and have this kind of schedule. So maybe if I can do facials, I could be in one location, and I could fit in like three facials, and then I could go to school, and then I could go back down, whack somebody's legs, and then go to school. And, then, and so it was kind of like that, right? You're trying to like figure out how can I make enough money to 
survive, pay my tuition, et cetera, et cetera. So I practiced. I actually sprung for a $600 a month one-room studio on Spring and Lafayette Streets in New York City, um, which is now a condominium building that uh, David Bowie and Iman bought one of the first apartments in. But back then, it was like, you know, in detective movies where you walk in, uh, you walk into a hallway and you'll see all these like single kind of 601, 602. It was like that. So I was 601. And people would have to wait for their facial by sitting on the floor in the hallway because it was just a room and you couldn't fit more than one client in there at a time. And um, I you know, just started to do treatments. And then I got a good reputation. People sent me their friends. They sent their friends. And so I would get up in the morning. I would do a couple of personal training clients. I would go to one class at university. I would then go to my spa, spa room. <laughs> it was a room, I guess I'd call it a spa. It turned into a spa. Um, I would do a facial, maybe wax somebody's legs. Then I would go do a personal training client. Then I would go back to take another class at university. Then I'd go back to give somebody a facial. Then I'd take the laundry in. Then I'd go back to the East Village, try and get a couple of hours of sleep and start all over again. So not much has changed? No. <laughs> I I think, now I have someone to do the laundry. Wow, so many things I was thinking, okay, it's the adaptability, it's the resilience, it's the, okay, we make it work, we're doing it all. Uh, I know myself and many friends who are female founders, entrepreneurs, many of them in the room, who we kind of joke when we say, she does it all. She does it all, we do it all. And I think that actually it's so great to hear that, you know, having that mindset and that approach, which is, I'm going to do it this way and this way and this way and, and figure it out and go, you know, have the courage to, to do that. And, you know, my next question was actually around mindset. And so entrepreneurship is very complex. And I think that on the one hand, it requires a lot of focus. And especially now where there is so much distraction and so many options available to us to do all of the things that I think it really requires a clear vision, a single-minded, okay, this is my mission. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to, even if I get told no 200 times, I have to have this clear vision. But on the other hand, we know that entrepreneurship requires adaptability and a willingness to change direction, to pivot and to kind of reinvent and start again. So how have you throughout your career managed that duality between being focused, but being willing to adapt when necessary? Yeah, I'm still working on that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's funny because I think if I could just get better at that part about the focus, right, the single-mindedness, I'd probably do better. And then I think, well, actually, I've done pretty well, so maybe I don't need to get better at that. But then I think, you know what, next, next level is actually being more single-minded and focused. But then I think, maybe actually I'm doing all right because you do need to listen to feedback. I do not know the answer to this question because also times are changing so fast, right? It used to be, okay, you can do one thing and you can keep doing it and that's gonna work if you're just single-minded and focused about it. But the world has changed so quickly. I mean, it used to be spend all your time on Facebook. That's going to bring in all your customers. Everybody's there. Guess what? Now there's Instagram. Guess what? Now there's TikTok. Now there's YouTube Shorts. Now there's what? If you just say, no, no, I'm staying on Facebook, you're dead, right? So actually, it isn't the same. You have to look at the feedback loop. So you always just have to have a feedback loop of, is what you're doing successful? Are you getting the right kind of feedback? Is the feedback more positive than negative? And you go in the direction of negative, but you have to always evolve or you're going to die. I, so there isn't really an answer to that one because I think you ha certainly have to believe 
for me anyway, the easy thing to do, open a business that you love and that you will be your own customer, right? I mean, I will not sell a product that I wouldn't buy. I have my own Beauty Pie membership. I order my own products, right? Because if I'm not gonna order it, why should you, right? And if I'm not gonna pay, I mean, everything is a screaming deal. So that makes it much easier because <laughs> You're paying less than wholesale, so that's, it makes it a lot easier. But still, you want every single product to be really desirable. And if I don't want to buy it, why should you buy it? And if you edit like that, it makes it really easy to like sell your stuff because it's easy to sell stuff that you want. Yeah, so having that clear vision to know, as you said, what the product is or what the service is or what you offer. Because for a lot of people, there might not be a product they're selling. Often they are the product or the service. Um, and I guess that kind of leads me on to my next question, which is about timing and longevity. So statistically, here in the UK anyway, by the year 2035, the retirement age is going to be 69. So many people, right? So 30 years ago, people might have thought of their 50s and think, oh, I'm going to retire. But now that's not happening. So I'm 36. So if I'm not going to retire till I'm 69, that means I'm working for another 33 years. So where am I going with this? Longevity. This idea that, okay, if we're going to live longer, if we're living longer lives, healthier lives, we're more active, we're more involved, you know, 50s, the new 40, all of this, then this idea that often people feel as though they are time poor, you know, it's, oh, I've missed the boat, or it's too late to start X, or I'm too old to do Y, you know, I may be people in their 40s and their 50s. Now, Marcia, you're someone who has started businesses at all ages and stages throughout your life. You've had different stages and seasons in your life and career. So I think you are the perfect example of someone who, you know, has, yeah, built things and started and built another thing and another thing. So even if someone isn't starting a business, if they're thinking about their career, how can they, I suppose, approach new seasons and new stages? And what is the message around timing and when the time is right and if they've missed the boat? Oh my God, that's such a long question. I know, yeah, sorry. Like, There's we, a question in that. Can we break that up into 60 questions? Yeah, here? yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll mindset, like, I'll longevity. I'll just like spew out a few things. Yeah. Okay, so one thing that I read there that was really great that everybody should write on a post-it or whatever thing you use and you know make it your screensaver was run at change. Right? Yeah. What do most of us do when there's something that we don't know about? You hope it's going to go away, right? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, TikTok, God, I hope it goes away. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to learn this. This is horrible. It's like yet another skill. And so you spend more time avoiding it than doing it, right? Or thinking about, oh my God, I have to learn that. Where if you just said, you know what? I'm going to take an hour every day or an hour once a week and watch YouTube videos about how to do this, <laughs> you would, in two weeks, you'd be like, oh my God, I'm an expert at this. But meanwhile, you've spent nine hours in your brain avoiding it and hating it and hoping it's going to go away so you don't have to deal with it. But as they always say, the only thing in life that's constant is change. Who was that? It wasn't Erica Badu. Who was it? It was me. Okay, great. <laughs> Good. Um, when, I remember this really great song. Maybe it was Erica Badu. Anyway. Um, and it's true, everything changes. And actually, do you want, think, do you want to be the kind of person who shrivels up, avoids the world, avoids the change, and is fearing it? Or do we want to be the kind of people who look at it and give it a go and realize, well, just like getting my driver's license, this actually was not that hard, and I have a general understanding of it, and I've empowered myself, and it took an hour. 
right? So instead of, you know, backing out of it, you do want to be involved in life. And guess what? It's going to change. And you do not want to become obsolete. You want to be in the game. Whether that being in the game is just understanding what people are talking about, right? Or doing some type of business that relies on you knowing, you know, this, that, et cetera, other skill. So you can, you can think of it one way or the other. Is change helpful or hurtful? It's probably going to be helpful. So embrace it and just run at it. Yeah, I guess the second part then, as you said, because there's a lot in my question around longevity, is also a confidence. And maybe, I don't want to say this just applies to women, but maybe, you know, in some of the uh, work environments where women might feel as though they've had time out maybe for maternity, maybe they've had time out for whatever. They might feel as though in a certain industry there's like a time limit on, okay, being in their 40s, 50s, and actually going, I'm starting this. This is my day one. You know, how, because it doesn't, you know, I know your career journey and it doesn't seem like, you know, you're not st stopping anytime soon. So what would you say to anyone who says, actually, yeah, I have the idea. I'm on the cusp or I'm thinking about it. And they're maybe in their, yeah, mid 40s. <laughs> That's young to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, mid-40s? Yeah, That's but I feel like the reason I say it is because so much of entrepreneurship, <laughs> no, I, know, I think, I celebrates and glorifies, like, the 30 under 30. And, we, you know, if you haven't built and scaled and sold your company at that stage, it's kind of like, oh, what are you doing? And I'll I think, tell you what, you know, let's start a new list. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to have, well, actually, let's start a whole bunch of lists. And then let's sell awards. Like, this is a whole business. You could do the 40 under 40, 50 under 50, 60 under 60, 70 under 70. There we go. And then you're going to, like, do an awards thing, make a lot of money off that, yeah. and reposition the whole, like, 30 under 30 thing, which is really not very diverse. Ridiculous. It's yeah. sort of, like, outdated. Yeah. If yeah. you think about it, that is, like, so outdated to yeah. think. And if you're a woman who's taken time off from maternity leave, are you kidding? By the time you get back, you are the most organized human being who can deal with so many crises... Yep. Right, and you just have to figure shit out. If that is like a skill, and a lot of men do not have that, right? Because they haven't had to like figure out this screaming thing that gets sick, and you know, like there's a lot to do, and you learn to do, it and then you really appreciate being at work, right? <laughs> I couldn't wait for Mondays when I had kids, right, on the weekends because I would have a nanny because I had pretty much always a business to run, and on the weekends, I mean, I loved it. But man, was Monday great. So actually, maternity leave is great because A, you learn how to deal with anything. And then B, you really learn how to make the most out of your time. You appreciate your time and you appreciate your time with your children. And you know how precious that is. So you get shit done during the day better than anybody else. So it is a gift, actually. The whole thing about, oh, you're outdated or obsolete is just a myth in your own mind. Um, if you, I mean, there are influencers, there are people starting businesses, there are, who is the world's most successful investor? Anyone? Buffett. And what does he do for like five hours a day? Reads. Yeah. New oh, information, I right? I'm New information. He brings himself all the recent information. He's not afraid of it. He's 80 years old. Does he need the cash? Not really, right? He apparently goes and eats the same cheese sandwich or whatever at the same diner every day. Or and didn't he start his most successful company in his 60s? Yeah. yeah. Like, come on. These are all, like, we're telling ourselves these stories. Pick a different story if you think that that's, right? And that's all it takes. Like, change the channel, pick a different story, tell yourself the really successful story. That's the one you can choose. Go with that one. Yeah.
I love it. All right. So if I was having, if I was lucky enough uh, for you, Marcia, to be my business mentor and I came to you and said, okay, I have a, an idea. I've done my research. I've done my homework. I've got a pitch. I know who the customer is. I know where I want to go with this. What advice would you give me about the first year of business? What things to focus on? What things to forget about? Common mistakes that people make for, in that first year? What advice would you give me? I read this question before to prepare myself, and I thought I really need to know what the business is. But, oh, okay. well, do you have one? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll answer a sort of a different, a general question first, and then we could go into detail because it's more interesting if you tell me what it is. But is everyone here signing a non-disclosure agreement? <laughs> hand in the air. Katie, take a photo of this. Everyone's hand in the air. Non-disclosure. And no one will repeat. Okay. Great. Did you get that photo? Great, okay, so we also have it on record. So first, I think it's about execution, right? You can try anything, but if what you execute is shitty, it isn't going to fly. So you really have to think about all those little details. Like somebody, I always think the big picture stuff is gonna take care of itself. It's the details that are really hard because a lot of people don't care about execution. Mm -hmm. So they think, oh, it's such a great idea, but then you know, when, when it's delivered, whatever it is, it's not really very special and then nobody cares. And then you think, oh, my idea isn't good. And it's like, no, your execution is terrible. So Details. yeah, I mean, first you have to get the idea right. And I always do the so what test for ideas. If you have an idea, and I've said this quite a lot of times, so those of you that I'm boring, I apologize, but the so what test is, here's my idea, and you say it to not a friend or a family member, right? Because they're always gonna say, oh, that's great, unless you have like a negative mother, and she'll say that's too. <laughs> test so, it with them. Yeah, try and get it on somebody neutral. So with somebody neutral, say, okay, here's my idea, and you need to be able to describe your idea in like one sentence, one long sentence, the time it takes a lift, elevator, wherever you're from, to go from ground floor to first or second floor, right? So here's my idea. Yeah, the elevator pitch. Now, that's great, you've got the idea, but then if somebody says, so what? That's the hard part. So what, like, why should anybody care? If you can't, then tell them why they should care in the same period of time from floor two to floor four, it's not good enough yet, you gotta go back and hone the idea, right? And then you know you've got a good idea because how much time do you have with your average consumer on Instagram or TikTok? About the same time. So that's where you gotta get it like, okay, why should anybody care about this? Make sure it's really honed, then start, yeah? yeah. And then worry about the execution and also be totally obsessed with your customers mm -hmm. and the quality because quality never loses. Okay, this is, um, I hope you're all taking notes. This is incredible advice. So I'm going to jump in with one more that I didn't prep you on. And this is about risk and risk tolerance, because I definitely think in the world of business, you know, we mentioned Warren Buffett. There are a lot of people that have this narrative that they share around risk, which is you have to be prepared to take big risks, risk it all, big bets. If you're not risking, if you're not failing, we kind of, you know, we tell people that we celebrate failure and risk. However, I would question that sometimes people that are telling us that, they might have a big old safety net that somebody else might not have. They might have a lot of power and privilege and wealth and they, they're kind of telling us, risk it all. But for some people, risk is riskier than others. So in your experience and you know, throughout your career, I'm sure you've had to take risks and big bold bets. How have you approached risk? And do, are you someone who has a plan B? Or do you say, no, Adrian, go all in on plan A and be willing to take big risks? 
Oh, that's a, another really great long question. <laughs> I, I love to talk. I'm like queen of the rambling answer, so when you ask me one like that, it's like, oh, no. Okay, where to start? Well, of course, I'm a big believer in Jim Collins. Has anyone read Jim Collins' business books? Yes, big yeah. fan, big fan. If you have not, like, there you go, right? Just go get them all and just read them and just follow them because he has such a great, um, a great sort of idea about risk versus reward, profitability versus growth. You know, what's, how you build, a, I always call it like the house of bricks. Um, with Beauty Pie, I always say like, we are building a house on bricks. Like we don't go like this, we, we go like this. And so every day we go, like, we don't have days like this. It's just like this. And you have to be comfortable with growth of that kind. Now, some people, sure. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of people. I've sat at a lot of those venture capital things with, you know, younger guys often. It's usually like quite young guys. There's a lot of funded young guy businesses. Like, we're going to deliver last mile. I hope nobody in here is doing last mile delivery. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> just no? OK. Nope. OK. And we burn through like $40,000 a day. And you know, we really hope. And you're just thinking, okay, okay. if you're burning through $40,000 a day right now, and you don't have a plan to make money off of this, how exactly is this really a business? If, like, how is this going to sustain itself? It might be really great and convenient for the few people that you are delivering products to right now. But what is the point, right? And I guess it's great experience for those guys. But they are blowing people's pension funds. Right, and that to me is just not responsible. Um, so when I was dealing with my own cash, which was just sort of stuffed underneath my mattress, which was savings from giving facials and waxing legs and doing personal training, and I was opening my very first spa. It was actually three rooms in a building, so it wasn't really a spa, it was like a facial place. Like the risk, okay, I spent probably $40,000 building out facial rooms, um, and if it didn't work out, okay, I'd just sort of start again. It was no big deal, it was my money. It didn't really matter if I lost it. Um, and yeah, it mattered, but did I know how to work? Yes, did I know how to go and do another facial or a personal training session, or was I still trying to go to university part-time? Yes, I was, therefore, okay, I'll just start again. I'm not, I'm not work averse, so it wasn't a big deal. However, the bigger you get, and when things really, um, start to matter and start to affect other people around you, then of course you have to be more responsible. I mean, you don't have to, but I would choose to. So you try not to fire, and this is a Jim Collins, which is one of my favorite sayings. And like, this is probably one of the most helpful things that you can remember in addition to run a change. Fire a bullet before you fire a cannonball, right? Do not take your life savings Right? And like buy 50,000 pieces of a bracelet that you got from wherever and decide to set up a web shop. Right? Get, a, get a table, get 100 bracelets, and go to the market and see if anybody wants them. Whatever it is that you're doing, figure out a way to test it small, and then test it bigger, and then test it bigger, and then test it bigger. And you'll probably feel, unless you're like kamikaze, and some people are just born that way. I am not. Um, I probably am more, more okay with risk than many, just because I had nothing when I grew up. We were kind of poor. I'm, I know how to live happily and poor. So it's like I could do that. It's not gonna, 
it's not going to be a problem. But some people wouldn't be able to handle that kind of, you know, up and down. Um, so always just thinking that you can fire a, a small bullet before you fire a big cannonball. And how do you do that? That's something you can get a friend or get a mentor or brainstorm with somebody who's like, I want to try this business idea. How can I try it for $5,000 or whatever you have saved up, right? Or whatever you can get a small business loan for. Or if you're already funded, right? Even then, how do you test things small? When we, at Beauty Pie, and this is a good example, when we have a new product, right? We don't know if anybody wants it. <laughs> so often we'll do something called an insider shipment and we buy 4,000. Right? And then we'll see, do people want this? Do they like it? They vote. They actually send feedback on a feedback form online. Then we see, did they love it? Did they hate it? Did they not care about it? Should we order more of these? Should we order 4,000 more? Should we order 20,000 more? How fast did they sell through? You know. Yes, they run out often because we kind of know what people want and we listen all the time. So we don't get it too wrong very often. But when you do get it wrong, it's not going to it's not going to end you if you only fired a bullet. Yeah. I really like that advice in the business world, but I'm also thinking about, I'm like always thinking, how does this apply also in life? And I suppose that approach to risk, and as you said, firing that bullet of test. So for example, okay, do I want to move out of the city and move out into the countryside? It's like people are trying to make that decision, but they've never taken the train to just go to the countryside and see, could I live here? What's the coffee like? What are the people like? You know, it's like, I like that idea of in your own life as well, if you feel risk averse, I think I've been quite risk averse in some ways in my life, maybe not so much recently, but I think actually testing and learning before making what? that decision. Like in what? what ways? Yeah. In what ways have I been less risk averse recently or yeah, more? Yeah. Um, from a business perspective, I suppose, you know, I'm writing a second book at the moment. So I feel like putting your ideas out into the world. You know, I say to people, it takes courage to put your ideas out into the world. And it's easier to go, mm, maybe I'll do it when I'm older, when I've got more, you know, and I'm like, actually, we can do it right now. You know what? I listened to some, I can't remember what it was either a podcast or an Instagram or it was on something you know there's like help everywhere if you if you there's help everywhere whether you want it or you don't want it like there's help everywhere and it said this was really interesting too it was as good as fire a bullet before a cannonball and run it change one of the most limiting factors for all of us right and what stops us from doing things and becoming great or getting to the next level or whatever is that we worry what other people think oh yes guilty yes so guilty stop yeah Get the book out, yeah. do whatever. It's right? coming, it's Great. coming. Great, yeah. and like blast it out all over the place. Yeah. And like yeah. promote yourself, yeah. and just be out there. Marcia, I'll be sending, I need you. Okay. I'll be like channeling Marcia. I'll be reposting. Yes, I need yeah. to channel it. Yeah. You're right, and I think it's easy for people to say, you know, uh, yeah, okay, stop thinking about what people think. And I, my sister challenges me on this a lot, she's wonderful, and she'll say to me if I'm like, oh, but what about this or that, or what will people, who are people? That's yeah, what she cares? says, who are these people? Yeah, because firstly, people. let's be honest, everyone's so busy that they don't really care they don't. they don't care what you're doing Adrian no. you know <laughs> what you were to the party either yeah. by the way that's the other advice that everybody should have okay what who the last party you went to whose outfit do you remember nobody's right so when you're stressing out about what you're gonna wear and you think oh my god I couldn't possibly now I gotta go shopping and I have no shoes and blah 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 remember nobody is gonna remember just like you don't remember what they were wearing yes yeah see see so yeah, saved you all wisdom hours hours of pain. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So back to my script, back to my questions. This is about thinking ahead. So I am, now I'd say I'm a planner. I like to think ahead. In fact, to be honest, I've been a planner my whole life. I always like to think ahead. If I think back to five Virgo? years ago. Yes. 
Oh, wow. I think back to when I started this podcast, I mentioned at the start, this is five years, you know, and on the one hand, I could say, oh, I never could have imagined what could have been. But I did imagine I did. I sat down with a friend and said, my goal of this podcast, I want to motivate, encourage and inspire. And I said, I want to motivate a million people. And so when we first hit a million downloads and then two million and then three million, it's like, yes, this is, you know, you can have big audacious goals and go for them. But the question is about... Some people say, you know, 10-year plan. What's it going to be? Follow the steps. Other people are like, forget it. You can't even plan for a year. You've got to just focus on the now and the next step and tomorrow and the immediate future. So my question to you, Marcia, is how much do you think about long-term vision when you're making plans, I guess, personally and professionally? And how much do you think about the immediate today and tomorrow? It's another one of those compound questions. So I'm a Libra, so I'd say 50-50. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, I, I have to think about driving the energy, and the energy is more tactical, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're, if you're really, it's good to be planned, and you have to have plans so that you can have the energy. And so the bigger that we get in any business, actually, so in Beauty Pie, like, it's getting bigger, and it requires a lot of logistics and a lot of planning, a lot of operations, and you got to be buttoned up, even just emails, right? you got to have those emails scheduled in. We actually work two months ahead on our email schedule and some of the social posting and like that, it seems really a ridiculously long um, lead time, but you know, yep. So there's that, but then if, if you're just waiting for emails to go out, that's pretty boring. So you also have to drive the energy. It's like you have to have a really fast flywheel of energy and then also the machine behind it that is organized. So there is a balance of both. Of course, it's gonna be personality dependent. Some people will just collapse if they don't have everything all buttoned up. But you will also find that those people can be a little bit dry, right? And so I always say good business and probably good life, probably good everything is the right combination for you, right, of magic and logic. So you gotta have some logic if your whole life is chaos, that's not going to be fun. You need a bit of chaos, right? Otherwise, it's boring. So it is that balance of chaos to drive the energy and drive the hype and then the organization that executes it well behind the scenes. Yeah, because yeah, I think that's what a lot of people, I suppose, get from having that longer-term vision and plan is, as you say, the structure and the, the kind of, um, yeah, organization, which is essential. So... I have worked in the well-being industry like you have, but I've worked in the well-being industry for the last 12, 13 years, getting old, uh, getting older, loving it. And uh, I know, look, I still get ID'd, I, literally recently, and it's quite um, embarrassing and frustrating, but back to the, back to the script. Uh, well-being industry. Now, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, balancing it and, you know, prioritizing well-being, and I encourage others to do it. I encourage myself to do it as well. But we know life happens. Life is busy. There are constant challenges. The modern world challenges our physiology and our, our physical and mental health day in and day out, and then you add into that business, children, relationships, all of these things. So I suppose when it comes to your approach to well-being throughout your career, have there been times, I suppose, where you felt like actually eh, the pursuit of your goals has come at the cost of your own well-being? Um, Certainly there is a balance between 
pursuit of goals and what you're able to do personally to kind of keep yourself in shape or keep healthy. Um, I'm very good with supplements because they don't take any time. Um, but I'm not always as good at getting up in the morning and meditating, although I want to, or exercising for half an hour, although I want to. So I'll probably get that in like three days a week and then think about it the other time. I think I'm thinking about it is something. At least it gets me the vibe. Um, it's better than not thinking about it. Then you'd be like really long gone. But I think one of the things that helps me get through like those difficult times where like work is so overwhelming and there's so much to do that you don't actually get that balance or something really stressful is going on and you can't sleep, right? It's just remembering, has anybody read, here's another book, book recommendation. Has anyone read The Road Less Traveled, original version by a guy named M. Scott Peck? Very old book, probably from the 70s. I remember reading it probably late 80s or early 90s. I don't know how I got a hold of this book at that point, but there's one line in it which just talked about how everything is your choice, right? So if I'm choosing to be stressed out because this shipment didn't come in and that means we might not make our revenue goal for shoes this month, right? That's my choice. I'm worried about money rather than sleep. But it's my choice. So I could say, I'm not gonna worry about the revenue goal. I'm actually gonna worry about my sleep. And then who's empowered? Me, right? But I have to choose. So everything that you do is actually your choice. And if you can really internalize that and realize what it means every single moment, that will help you tremendously navigate stress and also whatever is happening for you or because of you rather than to you, right? I love this idea of choice, you know, that everything's a choice. And I think often when, when I hear it in a, you know, oh, if it's all on you, then that's overwhelming and it's about blame or shame. It's not blame or shame. I completely agree that actually it's, it is empowering to think, what is the role that I play in this? How much am I influencing the outcome of this? And it's not to say it's always going to be great. As you said, sometimes it's like we can create difficult, challenging things, but knowing that this is your choice and you have to own that and what can you do to change it? Because the alternative as well, if you go, this is not my choice, I can't change it, I can't do anything, that kind of defeatist attitude is the opposite of empowering, right? Then you can't change it, you, you can't do anything, you're, you're stuck. So yeah, I, I, I kind of glanced over to my husband over there when you said that because I'm, I'm like a broken record with this, like everything's a choice. So thank you for that, that was great. Yes, thank you. No, thank you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Of course, on the Power Hour podcast, I ask every single guest to talk to us about their Power Hour. Now, this is essentially the first hour of every day. So the reason I still talk about this, I've been talking about it for years, is because for me, it really changed a lot of things in my life. When I started to 
set my alarm a little bit earlier before my son would wake up to have some time for myself to do whatever it is that I wanted to do at that time to focus on my own goals to focus on myself it really was a catalyst for change in so many areas of life so it's not about necessarily you know the perfect morning routine or or kind of cultivating this one hour you know it's just that is what worked for me and it sent me on this this mission and asking other people what do they do in the morning? What time do they wake up? What do they avoid in the morning? What do they do with this first hour before the world sees them and before they, uh, yeah, before they start their day? So, Marcia, over to you. Obviously, I should have known that you were going to ask this question and like got better at this hour yeah. a month ago, so I could. Ah, okay. Say but that I it does not. Was, there's no better or worse. It's yeah. just truth. And I think the yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to improve my power hour at the moment. Okay. Tell us. Um, <laughs> Starting now. <laughs> However, I will say that I've started to get up super early um, because that is the time when Slack is not pinging messages at me, nor is anybody awake and sending me messages from America or wherever. Um, so getting that time alone actually to focus on whatever it is that I need to get off my list that's really quick. Has anyone read the book? There is another book. No. Oh, is that your book? The first book was Power Hour. Yes. Has anyone read the it's book? It's available. Power Hour? Has anyone read the book? If you yeah. have not... <laughs> Excuse me, since this is recorded, um, go buy it right now. I'm going to buy also 12 copies and give them as Christmas gifts. And I would suggest that you buy that book and give it to your fellow female entrepreneurs as a stocking stuffer this Christmas or as a really great Christmas gift. Thank you, Marcia. <laughs> um, so my power hour. I will. So this different book, not the power hour, but there's another one. Not quite as good as yours. Yeah. It's called Getting Things Done. It's like number two on the New York Times bestseller list underneath the power hour. <laughs> and so every January, after I've finished reading the power hour, I read Getting Things Done by David somebody. Alan, yes, you know it? Okay. And he says, and of course I haven't read it for a year, so I'm probably not going to be that good at it, but he talks about like you either diarize things, you delete them, you delegate them, or you do them if they take less than two minutes. And then there's, I think, one other D, which I can't remember. Do you remember it? Delegate. Delegate. There was delegate, diarize. So you put it in the diary, and then you follow your diary. There's delete. delete. Or do. Or do. I think there's one more. Oh. Obviously, I'm not good at that one. Um, <laughs> but the do one is anything under two minutes. Anything that's on your mind that will take less than two minutes, just do it. So what I've been doing is getting up super early when no one is emailing or Slack messaging me and doing all those small, irritating things that actually take longer to think about than actually do and crossing them off my list. And then the day starts after I've hopefully jogged or something, Maybe. meditated. And then I can actually work on the chunky stuff. You know how distracted we get by all those little things that kind of take two minutes and they're on a list and you think, I'm not gonna do that because that's a distraction do all the distractions first, and then eat the frogs. Do yeah. you know the eat the frog thing? Yeah. Take, like, then you eat can the get into the big, ugly, chunky things that you're avoiding. Yeah. Great advice. And this is the thing. I think that often if we're already overwhelmed, if we're already busy, if our lives feel full, then sometimes the idea of like, wait, what? You want me to get up earlier to do more things? But as you said, I think there's solitude in the morning that you can't find any other time in the day. There is a quietness. If you are a morning 
runner, jogger, walker, dog walker, going out in the morning when the streets are empty and quiet and still and being able to think. And as you said, just not having, it's, it's not even just the thing, because some people say, oh, well, just don't look at your phone in the morning, which of course that's great. But I think it's a different feeling it's a different physical feeling for me anyway of availability. No one's expecting you to be available in that hour if it's especially if it's early. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So it does feel more freeing than saying, okay, at one o'clock, I'm going to have this hour and do my thing, you know, one till two. Fine. But there's a different feeling that some, you know. Do you also feel a bit superior? Mm. I think there's something smug. a little smug. Yeah, a little smug. Sometimes to myself, I'm like, oh, I've really, I, I've really done all that. Yeah, no, but yes, yeah. I think there is something like this, and that superiority complex, which might be small, but it is there. Ego is such a big thing, right? And if you think about the vibration you want to start your day with, having a little smug, like, I already got all this done. It's 5:45, right? <laughs> then suddenly, anybody who slacks messages you at 9:30, you're like. <laughs> you you feel like you've got the power so I think there is something about like having that time alone getting stuff done and just feeling like you're on fire so and definitely feeling ready I yeah. think that if we are time poor people and I, again I say this because I've t- tried and tested this for a long time um often people feel rushed Feeling rushed is never a good feeling. You know, from a physiological perspective, you're thinking about cortisol, adrenaline, epinephrine, these, these hormones that make you feel stressed. Many people start their day with that because they feel rushed. So sometimes power hour is just actually about creating more time so that you, you know, less is more, so that you uh, feel less rushed and more ready. All right. Because I knew this conversation would be wonderful with you, Marcia, because I knew it would be honest. I knew it would be candid. And let's be honest, don't we all appreciate an honest, candid conversation so much more than a kind of vague, you know, media answer which doesn't really help us so i firstly i um, do those oh i mean yeah. i've boring. tried but yeah like, or panels where four people out. do it it's oh even God, worse just it's so bad yep. so i knew that wouldn't happen with us i'm so grateful that you were here this morning and i'm sure the listeners of the show uh when, when the episode goes live and also everybody here will join me in saying a huge thank you to marcia thanks for coming everybody thanks for having me And one more big thank you, of course, to Beauty Pie, to the Treehouse London for hosting us, to my incredible producer, Jack Claremont, and to all of the listeners. Tune in next week for another episode. See ya. Woo! Thank you.